0: Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Heather. Today, we are joined by Scott and Jill Freeman of Brynmar Jewelry Co. Brynmar Jewelry is a luxury diamond jewelry house known for its exceptional fine jewelry and timeless designs. Their exquisite pieces showcase rare diamonds and gemstones brought to life through distinguished craftsmanship with uncompromising attention to detail. Having relocated to Andersonville in February of this year, you can have them help you create a custom jewelry piece of your dreams at 5139 North Clark.
1: Welcome, Scott and Jill. How are you both today? Fabulous. Good. We understand you're joining us from the shop. Are you both in the shop today? Or is it?
2: No, Scott? I'm in the shop. Jill's at home.
1: Got it. Uh, any fun projects you've been working on already this morning, Scott?
2: Well, um, I'm currently working on a custom job for a bat-inspired cloddering, which is pretty cool. Um, Stuff like this is like, you know, what jewelers kind of dream of because we make a lot of different jewelry and most of it's pretty, you know, standard or run-of-the-mill and this is definitely none of those things. So I'm kind of excited about the project. Um, So I've been working on the CADs and everything with this customer and it's a lot of communication back and forth to achieve, you know, what her vision is. But it's super cool and uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. So I was just communicating back and forth about that so far. Can you awesome. say that again
1: for me one more time, exec? It's a bat inspired. It's a
2: bat inspired clotter ring.
0: Oh. And what's a what's a clotter ring?
2: So a clotter ring is like a, um, a traditional Irish marriage ring, basically, engagement ring, or really it's just kind of a relationship ring where people can wear it, you know, if they're with somebody, they wear it one way. If they're not with somebody, then you twist it and turn it the other way. Um, But they've been around for, I mean, honestly- Is that
0: the one with like the heart?
2: Correct. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: everybody knows that, right? Yeah, so they've been around forever, but this one has like two bats holding um, the heart and the crown area, which is pretty interesting. It's something something unique and like, you know, I can't wait to see how it comes out and, and translates exactly how she wants it to look. So yeah, pretty exciting project.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say for those custom projects, like how can you talk about them, what the process is like, you know, um, we'll delve into other things later, but what is the process of custom jewelry look like um, from like the first initial conversation to the end delivery of the product?
2: So first I like to, you know, pick people's brains, you know, talk to them, figure out, you know, like what they had in mind, if they have like a Pinterest board or some type of pictures or whatever they have, you know, in their mind. And then I try and translate that into a little doodle sketch that I do. Um, From there, I meet with a CAD designer and he does like a 3D kind of CAD program, which is computer-aided drafting program. Same like as if you were, you know, an architect building a home. So, but this has been adapted for jewelry. Um, So, we'll work back and forth with some, you know, iterations of designs. And I'll email that to the customer and then, you know, if they want to make some changes, some tweaks, we work it out and basically try and get the CAD nailed down as close as possible to what they had in mind. Um, From there, we grow a wax in basically a 3D printer and it's a three-dimensional model that I can show to the customer and they can actually try on. And what you're seeing there is almost what you get um, at the finished product, at least proportional-wise there's still some filing, sanding, polishing, you know, setting stones, that kind of thing, which can take anywhere from six to eight hours labor um, after the fact, but at least, you know, it's a step-by-step process and it's pretty cool. You know, it's, you're working hand in hand with the customer. It definitely, it doesn't work if I just do everything. So it's cool. You know, you have lots of conversations and to literally you're building a piece of jewelry together. It's kind of fun. So that's what I really love to do about this business. You know, it's like, working hand in hand with people and trying to figure out, you know, what they want, because at the end of the day, I'm just translating their thoughts. It's not up to me to really, you know, design this piece. It's just me to be the instrument of making it. If that makes sense.
1: That, that does make sense. That is super cool. So I never realized that you kind of have like a prototype, this wax yeah. item that you turn into the real thing. How do you get it from this wax? form into like metal like do you
2: right so this is like an ancient form of jewelry making that's been around for centuries it's called lost wax casting so what you'll do is you know you take the wax and you pour basically like a plaster of Paris mold around it and then you heat it up in the kiln which will burn out the wax and then you heat up the metal and through centrifugal force you pour the metal into this uh, plaster mold and it gets shot in there and then basically boom you have a ring and you break out the mold and, and there it is. And they've literally been doing it that way for years and years and years. It's kind of cool, you know, which works out for me because I'm like a dinosaur. So, you know, the fact that the process <laughs> hasn't changed much works for, for my amazing. speed.
0: And have you both worked on a piece together? Have you created hey, something? Oh, for... yes. yeah, yeah, we've
2: collaborated on a bunch of stuff, you know, and I listen to as much as I can, you know, she, uh, she's very good at communicating.
3: He does the majority of all like the custom work, but we'll all help customers and come up with ideas, and you know we all bounce off bounce ideas off of each other and stuff like that.
0: So Andersonville is not Bryn Mawr Jewelry's first location. For a long time, the business was located at 1125 West Bryn Mawr. Um and and at that location you know, dated back to 1918 as a, as a jewelry store. Can you give us a rundown um, on the history of the business and how you became the owner, Scott?
2: Sure. So the store was established um, by Ernest J. Samuelson, who was a jeweler and an optometrist, because um, that was pretty common back in like the early 1900s. Your jewelers would make your eyeglass frames too, which is pretty crazy, but that's how it was done. And he owned it from 1918 till around 1950. Um, where he took on an apprentice named Gunther Marx, who was an Austrian immigrant. And he owned it from 1950 to 1995. So quite a few years in his own right. Um, And everybody who's anybody knows Gunther Marx, because he was just such a staple in the community, really active um, in terms of charities, the Kiwanis Club. In fact, he's still alive. He's like 96. Uh, So I talk to him every now and then. We'll write each other letters back and forth. And he's given me some of his old jewelry on consignment to try and sell at the store. So when I sell a piece, I just write him a check. And I'm sure it helps him out tremendously, you know, in his later retirement years. Um, so we still have a good relationship. And then he sold it to a guy named Yuri Tarnofsky, uh, who owned it from, let's see, I think 1995 till I bought it in 2004. Uh, and he was, uh, he called it Irina's Jewelry, which was named after his daughter. And then I bought it as a 25-year-old kid just uh, trying to roll the dice on a business and pick it up from where it was, because he kind of ran it into the ground a bit. It was more of a pawn shop, and the neighborhood kind of demanded that. It was, you know, a little senior back in those days. So I, you know, wanted to turn it back into, you know, a proper jewelry store um, with full service, custom jobs, everything like that. And it was tough. You know, at the beginning, I starved for a while, um, trying to turn it around. But slowly but surely, you know, we made it into a more respectable, good business of, what I dreamed, um, and and then just in February, I had to move it because of the L remodel on Bryn Mawr. So it was literally located right next to the train station. And the alderman came to me and he says, you know what, man, he's like, you're never gonna make it. And I said, I appreciate your honesty, you know, I'd rather you tell me straightforward rather than lie in my face and say, oh, everything's gonna be fine. Well, everything wouldn't be fine. They'd be closing down the sidewalk in front of the store and nobody would be able to come in. So I looked far and wide and I love Andersonville. I just think this is the greatest place in Chicago, like all walks of life, tons of mom and pop shops, which I really appreciate because everybody cares about their own business. And I found this location right by Foster and Clark and uh, rented it and did a full build out and was able to make it truly how I always wanted my store to look like because my old store was somebody else's store. You know, I just stepped in and kind of did the best I could, but, it was never really what reflected my personality. And this store really does. And it's just awesome. This is truly my dream come true. And I'm so happy to be in Andersonville. It's just uh every day I come to work it's a breath of fresh air. It's great.
0: And tell us a little bit more about the space. You uh commissioned a mural for the South Wall. Um you also have a viewing window where you can watch jewelry being made. Can you talk about the space and what customers yeah, can so- expect
2: dear friend of mine, John Arrow, who's a local artist in Andersonville, and he shows a bunch of his stuff over at Transistor. Um, I met him at a wedding like eight years ago in Mexico, and I remembered, you know, he's a really good artist and I was like, man, I got this huge brick wall. It would be really cool if I could find somebody who could do like graffiti style art. So I called him up and I'm like, yeah, man, you think, you know, I bounce you off some crazy ideas and like, you know, we'll talk back and forth and put our heads together and come up with something. I mean, can you handle it like on this brick wall and this scale? Cause it's like 25 feet long and, you know, 15 feet high. It's massive. Um, but he tackled it. It looks really cool. And it, it definitely, you can see it from the outside and people just come in to like, appreciate this art. You know, it doesn't even matter if they want to shop or not. I just want to, you know, talk to them and, and show them what, you know, what John has created. Cause it's really a beautiful piece. Um, but it's welcoming, you know, and I think it fits, it fits the neighborhood too. There's also some, you know, um, Andersonville icons in the mural, like you know, the water tower, uh, Simon's Tavern's in there, the hop leaf, my old store is pictured in there, Rigley Field, which is near and dear to my heart, even though the Cubs stink this year. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And uh, from there, you walk into this really nice open showroom, which has like four different islands of showcases, so people can kind of separate and it's still social distance in my store and feel comfortable. Um, to be able to like look at jewelry but not be on top of each other, which is really a stark contrast to the old shop. It was long and slim, and like you were crammed in like a sardine, literally. It was a very tight space, so this is much more open and inviting and then I have my shop you know finally all in one space, I have all my equipment instead of being scattered throughout the shop because the old shop was just you know not set up right. Um, so I got it all in one space and i 'm behind glass, so everybody can see what i 'm doing and still like communicate with people and come out, you know, and talk to them. And I have a nice office and everything is just set up exactly how I wanted it. It really came out, you know, to what I dreamed of. It's great.
0: And how was the period of, of closure? You know, you op- you had your grand opening on leap year of this year on February 29th. Um, and then immediately COVID happened and right. you were closed for, for 73 days. That was correct. Yes. Um, how was how that for you? I know you know well, we kind of have this question for later in the show, but maybe we can talk about it now. You did start the Dancing Jeweler Instagram account. Um, I don't know if that existed before COVID or if that was something that came up during COVID. But talk about how that closure was for you, um, your business, your family. Um, you know what you did during that time. What you've learned from that experience. From that experience. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was it was pretty scary. You know. I go from like the highest of the highs, having a massive grand opening, like 200 people show up. It was so great. And then three weeks later getting shut down and literally had a breakdown where I was like, man, you know, did I do the right thing? Did I move the shop at the right time? Like, what have I done to my family? You know, it was super scary. Um, but you know, thank God for Jill. She really picked me up and you know, we did this whole dancing jeweler thing. She's like, you know, we're going to hustle. And we're going to do things online and, you know, which is really foreign to me. Like I said, I'm a dinosaur. I don't really do a lot. I had to have her talk me through how to even like set up the Zoom thing. Um, you know, so if it wasn't for Jill, we'd literally be starving. She came through when I needed her the most. And I'm truly thankful for that. Um, yeah. So we did this like dancing jewelry thing, which is a ridiculous thing. It's me having quite a few drinks. And you know, playing some records and dancing, and then trying to sell a piece of jewelry in this weird, silly voice, alternative personality, which is kind of me in a nutshell, anyway, I guess. Um, but it worked, and we sold quite a few things. And I think it kept at least my face out there, um, you know, which is the main thing. It was just like, don't forget about me. I just opened. Please remember, you know, that that we're here in Andersonville, and when we, you know, rise from the ashes, everything's gonna be cool. And please come check us out. And it really has worked out. I mean, since we've been able to reopen slowly, but surely I've seen the volume increase and I'm at the point now where like, we're so busy that I can barely even handle it. It's incredible. I'm just beyond, you know, relieved to be honest with you, uh, because I thought it was all coming crashing down, you know, and then all of a sudden here we are and everything's cool again. And I think everything's going to be okay now. I feel like we made the right move for our family. And like I said, I couldn't have done any of this
1: without Jill. You saying that everything is going to be okay in the way that you just said it sincerely makes me feel really good. And I hope <laughs> that um, we could just, if we could just soundbite that and shoot it over the district, that would be ideal. Um, <laughs> especially, it's, it's that's a great thing to hear on a on a beautiful Friday like today. Um, so you you mentioned. Jill so much and just like your great ideas and, and, uh, ways to kind of adjust and adapt to like what's going on right now. Um, is that your background? Is that kind of like, um, what you're doing or have you always been, um, involved with jewelry and.
3: I've been in the jewelry business since I was 15. I've always worked at like small mom and pop jewelry stores in high school and in college. And when I moved to Chicago, I decided to try out real estate. And it just wasn't for me. And I had met Scott and, you know, he's like, what are you going to do? Go work for a competitor. So I've been at the store since 2015, I think. And I'm on the sales floor. I do the marketing. I pay the bills. I try and help in any way I can to take a little bit off of his plate. And yes, (laughs) kind of do it, hopefully do it all and whatever I can do.
0: And how has this time been for you? You have, you have two
3: children or? Yep. We have um, a three-year-old and a 10-month-old.
0: So how has it been, um, you know, managing, managing both the shop and the kids and being home at this time?
3: I try and find a good balance. We're lucky enough that we have a nanny come three days a week and I'm able to go to the store those days and help out. Um, So that's a good balance. And, you know, we make it work. Scott's been working a lot, but we know that this is what, we have to do in order to support
1: our family and, you know, make the business run properly. Yeah. I think a lot of people can identify with that. Um, we're so happy to have you guys here. And I just remember the, um, the opening party actually took my daughter with me and she smudged up all of your (laughs) display cases. And I think she, yeah, she kept asking somebody for cups of water. Um, so that was us. (laughs) (laughs) As long
3: as she was having fun, that's all. Oh because. my gosh,
1: she had the best time. And you had this massive spotlight that was like, like, as as if was there was like this amazing concert. <laughs> it was on the street and she was just like a moth to this thing. She just had to to go see it. It was <laughs> perfect. Um, so I know you mentioned a little bit before kind of, you know, you've got this wider space. It's, you can walk down the side, you've got display cases kind of spaced out, um, How have you been able to use that to transition into like COVID world and social distancing? And um, what can people expect? Like, Do they need to make an appointment to come in?
3: So we have the option if they'd like to make an appointment, they can do so on our website or they can call us and make an appointment, whichever they prefer. But we're also allowing people to come in during business hours. We try and limit it to about six to eight people in the store at a time and maintain six feet away from everybody and everybody has to wear a mask. Um, use hand sanitizer when they come in. All the pieces are sanitized in between somebody, you know, looking at them. And we just try and make it as safe as possible, but still be able to have an enjoyable shopping experience. We have like social distance markers in the shape of diamonds on um, the chairs. So to kind of help maintain that and whatever we can do to make people feel comfortable shopping.
0: So I wanted to talk about, um, you know, maybe you have, have this information. I was kind of curious to know the origins of engagement and wedding rings um, overall. Do you know the history of how that tradition came about? And how has the process of, of buying engagement rings evolved over the years? And how has it been during COVID? Because, you know, with weddings being limited um, and all of that, do you, do you, have you noticed people still getting engaged and needing engagement rings?
2: Okay, so the history of engagement rings I don't know how long that is dated back to, to be honest with you. Um, The traditional wedding band for sure has been around since the dawn of time. When you have a commitment, you know, you committed by sharing you know, a piece of jewelry, a lot of people would put a ring on their finger. Um, And for some reason, it's always been the fourth finger, which supposedly has, you know, a vein that goes all the way to your heart. You know, that's why we use that finger, which is crazy enough. Um, anyway, so has that evolved? Yes. In terms of COVID, we've noticed a lot more people, um, having smaller weddings now. And then hopefully, you know, when all the smoke settles, they'll have their larger, bigger gathering. Um, so they're getting wedding bands now, and then they've talked about getting a second band to signify, you know, the bigger party as well, which is amazing. Um, what I love to see is like, you know, none of this is stopping anybody from getting married. I keep saying, you know, love will always win. It's amazing. It's great to see people, you know, whatever it is, this is a way to put a smile on their face and forget about all the weird stuff that's going on in this world. It's like a science fiction movie. Um, but they're still getting married and they're enjoying love and they're enjoying commitments. You know, I feel like they're quarantined together and people were dating and quarantine, maybe said... Hey, you know, we made it through this. Why not get hitched? You know, this is great. So I feel like it was a really good trial period for some people and almost promoting more of a commitment to each other at this point, you know, through quarantine. So weirdly enough, can you say there's a positive from all this? Absolutely. You know, without a doubt that I think um, people have grown closer together and, you know, are, are uniting through this really weird period of our lives.
3: I also think a big difference that I've seen from when I first started in the jewelry industry with like engagement ring shopping is couples now come in together to discuss like what they want. And whereas before you would just see it as, you know, one person coming in and buying the ring. Now it's really like a joint collaborative effort, especially in the custom process, Um, you know, really kind of designing something together and finding a
1: piece together. Um, And we're certain that you probably have, so many favorite or memorable customers or projects over the years, but is there one story that kind of stands out, you know, that your go-to story? <laughs> you think like
3: the dragon earrings that you made?
2: Which, which ones? Oh, the those dragon, dragon
3: earrings. earrings.
2: Yeah, or the, um, what else did I do for that?
3: those um dangle like old miners that yeah, you said in there. yeah
2: so well that's uh, definitely an engagement story that's customer
1: oh true yeah any so. any any customer story that kind of stands out
2: So at least that piece, which is one of the hardest pieces I think I've ever made in my life.
1: Um, She came
2: in and she's a woman of um, impeccable taste, Um, loves, you know, Edwardian art deco pieces, you know, vintage jewelry. And she was in France and she showed me these beautiful, big, huge dangle earrings that I don't know where you'd even wear these things nowadays to an opera or something. She's like, I love this piece. I saw them in France. And she's like, the guy wanted like $20,000 Twenty thousand dollars for them. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, you know, would you be open to me recreating them if I could do them for like, you know, say, I don't know, th- two, uh, three quarters of that price? And she's like, absolutely. So I literally had to hand fabricate these pieces. Uh, 100% out of silver and then gold back because that was the traditional Edwardian style where you would like assemble 18 karat gold to the back of silver to make it look more rich. Um, and then I had to find all period correct stones because I wanted it to look like a true vintage reproduction. So, you know, cutting has changed over the time periods through the years as technology's gotten better. So you could tell on the older pieces and date them specifically by the way a stone is faceted. So I had to try and like, you know, really stretch my wings and try and find all these old stones to recreate these things. There was over like 250 diamonds in these earrings. Absolutely insane. Insane. It took me the better part of like two weeks to hand make these. And there's some of the most beautiful earrings I've ever made in my life. And she was just tickled and she loved them. She loved them so much. She had me make, you know, another pair of earrings, which were like dragons. Um, mismatched dragons that she found these charms in some you know antique shop so i had to design these with like rubies around them they look like something out of game of thrones like i said this lady had super cool taste and you know when i can buy with somebody like that and you know really things come out so much better you know when i really am excited about the project and it's something unique i feel like you know when you talk and once again you know communicating hand in hand the piece comes out so much better. It's so cool. I love the process in general and like just talking to people and finding out, you know, what their story is and all that stuff. That's part of, I feel like the biggest part of sales in general, is just talking to people. You know, I I try and tell any of my employees, like, you know, don't try to be a salesman, just, you know, talk to people and like find out what they love, find out what they want, you know, what they're interested in. And you'll be able to make a custom piece so much better.
1: And I would imagine too, it's a it's a kind of a fun thing to walk into a jewelry store. I'm not, hmm, I don't know. Some people might have fun shopping for a car, or I'm not, you know, looking for like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> like you're, it's That's to, usually like, a happy
2: experience. That's yeah, the thing. these are not angry people walking
1: through the door. <laughs> these are not angry people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you're
3: re- you're really playing part in like a really important moment in these people's lives, and like you're part of their story too. And it's nice. It makes it, it's a very nice experience usually. because awesome. yeah. awesome. these
2: pieces will outlast us, literally. You know, that's the cool thing about it. It's almost like the key to the fountain of youth or eternity, because you're making a piece that will last forever. At least you hope it does.
1: And do you have photos of these pieces? Do you have a photo of the bat, the bat ring, the clatter ring, and <laughs> these dragon yeah, earrings? Those- Yeah, the
3: bat ring is still in the making, but there are pictures of all the custom pieces on Instagram, and I can also send
1: them to you. Oh, awesome! Yeah, we'll be sure to share those out um, uh, with the visual portion of the podcast.
0: But you just, um, you know, you you just ended with a kind of a good segue into my next question about these pieces, kind of, you know, outlasting us. Um, You know, for so for folks who who have really good jewelry what's the best way to care for that jewelry do you have a kind of a best practice for for pieces that you want to make last and stay beautiful
2: yes um (laughs) don't sleep in it because as crazy as it seems the dust in your bed has a hardness of nine on the most scale which is like as hard as a sapphire so that can literally wear down metal it can wear down stones it can scratch stones so truly it's not good to sleep in it um your hands swell at night So you can wake up like trapped in your jewelry which is a terrifying you know experience like you wake up you're like oh my god i can't get my rings off i'm so swollen so best practice never sleep in it don't shower in it because all that soap scum can build up under the ring and you can get a rash um you know so take it off put it on after you shower don't swim in it uh chlorine and water is actually it'll break down metal from the inside out you won't even notice it happening but it is like a killer for all metals. It'll start eating the jewelry from the inside out. And then all of a sudden you wear it and you bang it on a table and it just cracks. And when you look inside, it's all like hollow and pierced and like all these different holes, which is called porosity. And that means basically the metal has been totally contaminated and it's almost unfixable at that point. So those are my, you know, basically Oh, and don't work out in it, you know, which I feel like is pretty obvious, you know, like, why would you want to go grab some weights and like, damage this piece of art that I made and spent so many hours. <laughs> like, you know, just don't don't do that. And other than that, wear it, enjoy it, and it'll last forever. That's my thoughts anyway.
3: And come in every six months to a year, get the jewelry checked. It's kind of like a car, you know, you just gotta once through wear and tear, you gotta make sure everything's tight and wearing properly. And yeah, just get it
0: checked every once in a while. So we have a, a lifetime show on our hands. We're trapped in our jewelry. So walk us through, if you get a ring stuck on your finger, um, what is the best way to get it off your finger? Say you just tried on your best friend's ring. It was just sitting there um, and your finger was slightly too big. Um, How do you get it off?
2: So first I suggest... Spraying your finger down with Windex. I know that sounds ridiculous because my big fat Greek wedding, you know, but literally, Windex is a good lubricant and it'll actually clean the ring as you try and take it off, which is really nice. Um, But yeah, it'll slip up, you know, underneath. And if that doesn't work and your knuckle's all swollen and it's turning red, we can actually cut it off, which I definitely recommend coming to a jewelry store for that. I have a special tool don't go to the emergency room or the fire department. They will clip it off with like cutters and mar it up and it won't be able to be fixed where I have like a tool that'll slip under the ring and make a perfectly clean cut. And then I can, you know, open it up and take it off that way. And then we can fix it, you know, as your hand gets better because it does, it takes some time to get the swelling down.
0: So it seems like you have experience in this.
2: Yes, quite a few times. And a lot, a lot has to do with, you know, Um, anyone who's pregnant, you know, by like the seventh month, eighth month, you know, you start retaining a lot of water in your hands. I couldn't tell you how many pregnant women I've had to cut rings off their fingers. So, you know, if you're pregnant, you might want to consider putting it on a chain for the last couple of months of your pregnancy. That's a good safe option too. And it's
3: very common in people who have like gotten married 40 years ago and have never taken their wedding band off ever. And, you know, through you know, your body changing. And it's, it's very common that you have to get it cut off
1: if you never take it. That's very good advice. I don't think I follow any of those things. So I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like looking at my finger and I'm like, oh yeah, I I don't ever take it off. Um, So that's a good reminder.
0: So we talked about your, your dancing a little bit. um, And we talked about the mural, but I wanted to also um, ask you about, I guess there's, what I read was there's several fish references yes. in the mural. Can you talk about fish? Is that your favorite band? You have um, a favorite music? You know, what gives you inspiration for your dancing, for your IG videos?
2: Yeah, so I've been a fish fan since 1996. That's when I first saw my first concert of theirs, and I've seen them over 70 times. Um, absolutely, bar none, my most favorite band, my most favorite experiences in life. I've traveled across this country, um, seen as far as Washington, as far as you know, Massachusetts, down in Florida, anywhere in the country. It's a great way to get out there and not only travel, but you know, see great friends and experience everything. And that's all part of it. There's a family community about it. So I had the artist who actually is not a fish fan um, to try and translate what I would describe, different song references in the mural and, you know, if you look closely, you can get them. And if you know it, you know it. And if you don't, that's totally cool. But it still looks really interesting. Um, but to see how somebody who doesn't know anything about fish translate all these fish references, it came out amazing. It truly did. Um, and all music I love. I'm like an absolute audiophile. Like I have, I don't know, 500 records, 2,000 CDs. I'm just like, I, if I can't hear music all day, I go nuts. It's just something that keeps me going. Um, I need to experience more. I need to hear all genres, you know, jazz, blues, reggae, you know, jam bands, anything, you name it. That's the kind of thing that just is in me. And I feel like my dad really is a big part of that. He's also a huge music, music guy. Growing up, you know, there was always Bob Dylan on the on the car, you know, on the cassette player, because that's what it was back then. Um, you know, it was just lots of folk music is what I learned about. and uh, And it kind of continued on. And you know, in my musical journey throughout the years of just, you know, trying to listen to more and more and more and keep yourself open um, to hearing this. And that's the biggest thing that, you know, that I take out of this COVID situation as well. I feel terrible for musicians. Um, I'm dying to hear some live music and there is none of that going on. I can only imagine what's going on, you know, with them and what they are having to deal with not being able to perform, you know, it's just, it's got to kill them you know it kills me too because i can't appreciate it and i love i love to go out we take our family we took miles to his first fish show last year um we set up in the family section right next to this other wonderful family who had similar age kids and there's glow sticks and like dancing and it's just a great time so anybody who thinks it's not a family environment it 100 is I've always dreamed about bringing my kids and experiencing all of this and it's really amazing and to see after you know like I said 20 some odd years of going to these shows and now being able to bring my kids to them it just warms my heart it truly does.
0: And Jill do you have the same passion for fish or is this something you do because you love Scott? I didn't
3: know of fish until I met Scott. And then when I went to go see a couple shows and then I got it, I understood what it was about, the experience, the people, the, it's just, it's just happiness, love, and kindness. And that's what it is. And I want to be a part of it every chance I can get. And I'm thankful that I was introduced to them from Scott. Can't believe I missed out on it
1: before. That's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. It seems like a good, happy crowd. Yeah, uh, he- I'd have to say that my my husband's favorite band is probably Rush, and it's a little bit harder of a community to break into.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do like Rush though too. They're
1: pretty. Yeah, good. it's solid, but <laughs> harder to get Not- your eight year old daughter into Rush.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Heather, were you ever a Fish fan? I I have to say I think I I I missed it. I know I was supposed to get into it in high school, and everyone else was, and I, I missed the boat and
1: I never, never I, I never <laughs> understood it.
0: <so>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that I wasn't into it probably when it was like in the, I don't know, like exactly like when I was maybe in, in high school, but my friends were definitely into it. And now that I think of it, I'm going to go revisit the mural and see if there's an antelope because oh, yes. I remember, there is- okay, there's an antelope. All right. <laughs> it's running as yeah. fast as it can.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I had a I had I had a friend back in I think it was um for New Year's Eve, they were playing in New York and went and she went to all three concerts and I just right. was like, You're three days? Like, so mm-hmm. you know, but but you're you're like do it. You're like that. That's a good weekend. Yeah.
2: Yep. That's the only way to do it. You can't just see them once. It gets better and better, and it's never so when, the same.
0: When
3: Scott took me t- to my first show, I'm like, "We're gonna go see the same band three days in a row. Like, what <laughs> is that about?" Then I understood.
1: <laughs> oh, I some it. people, some people have theme parks in Florida, and some people. Oh my do other my things. my, <laughs> my better alternative. <laughs>
0: my sister and brother-in-law want to retire to Disney World which is like that's your goal like so yeah i mean everyone has their thing so yeah, i would totally. never i would never go to orlando and and live out the rest of my life but you know
2: <laughs> to each their own each their own some people love the mouse i love fish <laughs>
0: <laughs> so would would you both be up for sharing kind of your love story, engagement story, what your engagement ring was like, what your wedding was like for our listeners? Sure, you want to start?
2: No, you go ahead.
0: Um so we'd been together
3: 4 years. Mm-hmm. 4 years, right? And Scott's 7 years older than me. So, you know, we were talking about getting married cuz we wanted to start a family and he was talking about how he wanted to go on this extravagant vacation in California and go on this vineyard. And I'm like, if you want to get married, we shouldn't be spending all this money on this extravagant, you know, vacation. So no, we're not doing that. So we decided to go visit my friend in Boston. who's was a good friend of mine. And little did I know that behind the scenes he was planning an engagement with her there. And he never, he always told me he would never propose like in a big crowd or amongst a lot of people. It would be something very private and intimate between us. Lo and behold, we're walking through the Boston Gardens on the first night, nicest day in Boston, and it's super busy, gazillion people around. And he gets down on one knee and I like wasn't even paying attention because I was like looking at the gardens. And finally I turned around and he was down on one knee and I was like, Oh my gosh, you are proposing. And it was just it was not like I don't think it went how he thought it was gonna go because I thought cause my attention just like wasn't there because I was. I don't, it was very, it was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I loved every minute of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's a funny story. I don't know. You might be able to tell it a little bit better than I can.
2: Yeah, I had written probably, this whole speech. I like blacked out.
3: out a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, I had written this whole speech out. I had like a Stevie Wonder song quoted. I had all this stuff, and I'm like standing next to her, you know, doing my thing. She's totally looking off in the space, not paying attention to me whatsoever. She's like. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. I'm like, well, shit, I better get down on one knee before she doesn't realize and take me seriously. So at that point I got down on one knee and she's like, "Oh my god, this is happening." I'm like, "Well, yeah, you want you want to, you know, look at me now?" <laughs> <laughs> It was cute though. And we had our friend, uh, I had her like kind of film the second half of it. She snuck out of the woodwork and like was able to get it all on on video, which is pretty amazing.
3: And then for our wedding, um, we knew we wanted something a little bit different um, just because we're so, we wanted something a little bit more laid back. Um, We got married at um, Salvage One, um, which is a really cool industrial space with a lot of awesome artifacts. And one of our good friends married us. Um, we wore jeans to our wedding. It was like 250-some people. Um, we had an amazing um, Motown band called The Hemispheres. We just wanted good music, good food. We had great Mexican food, and we wanted good booze. And that's what we had, and we had a great night with, uh, surrounded by all of our friends and family that are near and dear.
2: It was perfect.
0: Yeah. That's amazing and it seems like it, did, it, it didn't feel stressful from the way you're retelling it. It didn't feel angsty and, and stressful and you're about to jump ship the night before.
3: I mean, don't get me wrong, like the planning process was a bit stressful, but we wanted it to be as easy as possible. I feel like planning a wedding is just not an easy process anyway. So we had a great party planner, um, Jen Ganson, she helped a lot. And yeah, it was, it, it, was this, it went as smooth as it could go. Absolutely. But no jumping ship the night before.
0: (laughs) Have you ever um, given, like, I'm sure people always tell you maybe when they're coming in to shop for engagement rings how they're planning to propose and and that sort of thing. Have you ever um, created a wedding ring for or an engagement ring for someone who is planning to propose on like um, the screen, the big screen at a game?
2: The best one I can remember is this guy, I guess, you know, growing up, he knew really well how to use John Deere. And he talked some guy into letting him basically mow into his cornfield, Will You Marry Me? He also knew how to fly, um, like, a plane that, you know, basically does crop dusting. So he took her up in the crop dusting plane and flew over this field and mowed out William. You marry Incredible. I'm like, dude, nobody can tell.
1: Incredible if know. she said yes. Which she
2: said
1: yes. Yeah, okay. All right.
2: Okay. (laughs) But wow. I mean, it was just grandiose and incredible. I was like, wow, man, that's pretty impressive.
0: I know, because if you say like no, you can't just say get out.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, when you you, you use the ejector seat (laughs) and hope you got a (laughs) person.
0: All right. So we um we're about to come to the end of the show, but we um we've kind of shifted formats a little bit. We used to close the show with which Andersonville business would you like to trade places with for a day? And, you know, feel free to answer that one that is still available to you. But we've noticed in these times, like, people are, are just struggling to get by and no one's really looking, looking to trade places with anyone right now um, and just kind of, you know, hoping for the best for with where they're at. So we will, we, we've started creating these kind of rapid-fire questions, but feel free to reflect and pause on them. Um, so if you're ready, we'll kind of jump right into those.
2: Okay. Go so, for it. But-
0: Okay, if you had a choice between two superpowers, being invisible or flying, which one would you choose? Flying.
2: Uh, Sure, flying.
0: Okay, my kids always say invisible because they can like go in and take things and people wouldn't notice. Interesting. (laughs) I know, so I'm like, you want to be kleptomaniacs, like that's (laughs) that's the goal. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we've talked about music. What is your favorite 90s jam?
2: Ooh.
3: I don't know if I can answer jam because, like, I grew up in the 90s. I feel like I have to go with, like, a boy band, like, Sync or Backstreet Boys just because I'm, like, a 90s kid. Scott will answer definitely differently, though.
2: Yeah, I want to say uh, Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> Vanilla Ice. Vanilla
0: <laughs> Ice. <laughs> It's so funny that was even a thing. Like when you go back and you reflect on that, and like it's like you look at Vanilla Ice and you're like, "What were we
1: thinking?"
2: You Love know? that, era. Love dancing <laughs> to that music. Love
1: it. Ran into him once in Colorado. He did not, did not break character. It was very <laughs> strange. <laughs> um, what is your favorite piece of jewelry in the shop right now, and what do you consider to be a jewelry essential, like a piece? Hmm.
2: Well, I feel like, you know, always the most recent piece that i made is my favorite. So I recently just, um, through moving the shop, I found all these like rough cut sapphires in a drawer. And uh, Jeff, who works for me, actually cut stones as a hobby at his house. So he was able to turn this rough uh, sapphire into this beautiful, you know, unique blue green sapphire, it's super cool, and has these interesting angles, which I basically designed the ring around these angles and made this like kind of vintage inspired art deco piece. Uh, So that's my favorite right now for sure. It's just a beautiful piece.
3: Um, I think a good staple piece to always have is a nice solid gold chain um, that's gonna last forever. You can't go wrong with that. All right,
1: and if we opened up your fridge, what would we find right now? (laughs)
2: Unwiser,
1: oh, <laughs> Diet Coke,
3: <laughs> and lots of fruit.
2: Lots of fruit.
0: Nice, Lime Lacroix okay. over here for us as a chamber. <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of go back to a jewelry essential because I meant to ask this question earlier. Um, I, you know, always wore a watch growing up, and and always, you know, was a big fan of watches. Um, and I know you sell watches there at the at the store. Um, how, how have you seen the, the watch wearing market kind of shift over the years with the usage of cell phones for time? Do you still feel that people are coming in for those? How, how has that evolved?
2: I do think people are still wearing watches, especially men. You know, men don't have a lot of jewelry that they wear, but they tend to wear a watch. You know, um, I haven't really seen it slow down much, to be honest with you. Yes, people still have their cell phone, but you know, me personally, I like to look at my wrist. You know, it's just a quicker, oh, I know what time it is. And I feel like it's a fashion thing. Um, people have I don't know, a dozen watches these days, you know, something to match this outfit, that outfit. I mean, I'm a geek like that. So I don't know, it, it hasn't really slowed down much. I think people still appreciate a good timepiece. It's kind of nice.
0: That's good to hear. Yeah. All right, our next question is how do you tell if a diamond is fake?
2: So there's lots of things that go into diamonds. that can tell you that it's fake. Um, First off, the way a diamond is cut, the faceting will be crisp and all the corners will meet really well. You can't achieve that in like a cubic zirconia. It's just the material is different. So you have a much smoother surface. Uh, The edge of the stone on a diamond will either be frosted or it'll be faceted. So on a fake stone, it will be smooth. So you can tell right then. Um, Diamonds usually have imperfections and specifically like if you've been trained by GIA, you can recognize these, you know, specific imperfections, which are natural to the stone. Um, A synthetic usually won't have any imperfections. Although nowadays they're doing lab grown diamonds. So they're able to grow an actual diamond in a lab, in a machine. Um, They're pretty, pretty close. You know, they look exactly like a diamond. You know, the only thing is the imperfections are a little different. And there's something about them that I can see myself that just doesn't look right. And I don't know how to explain that, but it just looks a little bit off.
0: I didn't even know there was such a thing as lab-grown diamonds. So there um, is, you that's, know, we'll, link, we'll link to that. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. And lots of people are buying them in terms of, you know, for the conflict-free issue that some people are, are nervous about, you know, buying a natural diamond, which are guaranteed natural and conflict-free nowadays because they have <laughs> adapted processes and they're more stringent. But still, with a lab grown, they feel that, you know, there's definitely no conflict possible. So we are getting a lot of people buy them. They're a lot less expensive than a diamond. And that's due to, you know, as technology gets better, they get less expensive. So that's kind of how it is, you know, because it's a technology-based item.
0: And have you ever had to break the news to someone that... Their their diamond isn't real. (laughs) I only know because my speaking of speaking of my sister and brother in law again, like he had inherited like his grandmother's ring, which was like I think lovely because it was grandmother's ring, but it was not a real diamond, and so they had gotten it appraised, and my sister was like, "This thing's worth like two hundred bucks." So,
2: (laughs) it's always one of those things you dread having to do, but I feel like it's my duty to tell you. Otherwise, not only protect myself because you're giving me something to repair or whatever. But I feel like, you know, it's my duty to inform somebody and just be straightforward and honest. You know, the biggest thing about, you know, the misconception of a jewelry is going to switch my diamond or this and that. So I've just always been brutally honest. And I feel like that's the best practice.
1: All right. And for our last question, um, what are three objects that you can't live without?
2: Music. Yes. Music. um, Objects. Hmm
3: good vintage jewelry
2: good vintage jewelry, vintage
3: jewelry. Um,
0: i mean and, and budweiser and budweiser, and budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: this is a this is a standard in my diet
0: wine for me <laughs> well now we know what people should bring to you when they visit you at the shop so
2: <laughs> 12 pack of bud makes me happy <laughs>
0: Well, thank you, Scott and Jill, for joining us today. Thanks for having and us. Thanks for yeah. having us. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Brynmar Jewelry, please visit Brynmarjewelry.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org.
3: Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership, and if you like the podcast, Please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying Always Andersonville.